Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Tuesday. Happy day after Monday. Uh, just happy, happy, happy. Glad you're here. Glad we have an awesome show uh, planned for you today. Uh, we're going to hear from a lot of people. Delano Squires is going to help me uh, talk about uh, the issue at the top of the show, uh, some of the violence and chaos and disaster going on in Chicago. Delano has written a column relating that uh, to our Fearless Army Roll Call Summit and, and the Chicago mayor's reaction. We'll get into that at the top of the show. Delano and I, uh, TJ Moe will join us and help me think through, I think the guy's name's Anthony Bass, some major league baseball player that's upset with United Airlines because they asked his uh, wife to clean up the popcorn the, chi the kids have spilled. Uh, anyway, TJ's a dad. We'll get his take on that. Coach Jason Brown, as Steve Kim alerted me yesterday, uh, JB has said something really silly about Ray Lewis. I'm going to ask him about it. We'll also talk to him about Jalen Hurts. Uh, and then at the end of the show, you know me, I, I, I bend over backwards uh, for family and friends. And so uh, there's a guy, two brothers I grew up with, Freddie and Bubby Bowles. Bubby's real name is Charleston. But uh, we grew up together like family, like brothers. And, and Freddie has a son who swears up and down he's going to be the next uh, Stephen A. Smith, the next Michael Wilbon, the next Jason Whitlock. Uh, he's going to be a huge media star. He's a freshman at Purdue. He loves the NBA. And uh, so Jordan Bowles is going to join us to talk about the NBA playoffs and Draymond Green. He's filled out an approval rating on Draymond. Uh, obviously, I've known Jordan. Uh, all of his life, I, I, he was a terrific high school basketball player. His younger brother is going to be a Division I basketball player and a Mr. Basketball candidate in Indiana. And his dad is one of the smartest, uh, best friends I've known and had throughout my entire life. So uh, we're going to give Jordan a shot on the show, uh, talking to NBA, and we'll see how he does. So uh, stay tuned for that. I can't, I can't wait to uh, see how that plays out. But a fantastic show plan for you today. I hope you're happy. I hope you're uh, in as good a spirits. I hope you're still on a high. For those of you, for the seven, 800 men that came here to Nashville and celebrated roll call with us, you're probably still on the same high that I'm on. Uh, I hope you are, and I hope those of you that didn't make it can feel our energy and it's uh, inspiring you. Uh, but we have a great show planned for you. And... I also want to talk to you about, you know, getting back in shape. I am on a good run right now. Some of you have noticed and have commented and emailed me like, Whitlock, Whitlock, you done plateaued for way too long, bro. You should be shrinking. What's up? And you're right. And, you know, I'm on it hard right now and it's been that way for about the past 10 days and a big part of being on it right now is incorporating Nugenics Total T into my uh, routine in terms of eating better and in terms of exercising more. You guys know how hard it is 
staying in shape, particularly as you age. You need some extra testosterone to do that. And Nugenics Total Tea is one of the best ways to get it. You can get a complimentary bottle if you text 231231 and enter the keyword fearless right now. 231231 to fearless. It can help you break that plateau and, and continue the weight loss journey that we all need to be on. I'm certainly on it. I'm making improvement. It's why I feel so good. It's why I was able to give all that energy that I gave uh, to Roll Call. For those of you that weren't there, you know, I was a big ball of emotional energy and tried to meet and greet and shake every hand in the building and, and you know, try, fighting back tears the whole time. And it took a lot out of me. And I was able to give that over a two-day stretch because, again, it started on Friday. We went late into the night on Friday. I'm entertaining people. We got people here at the studio. Then we turn. I get back up right at 5 a.m. the next day and come back and do a full day of engaging with you all and giving energy and everything to everybody. The reason I was able to do it, because I've been boosting my testosterone with Nugenics Total T. You can get it at any GNC. While every product professes quality, many other products use generic ingredients that are often far less than clinical grade. With Eugenics Total T, you get the same clinical potency levels used in the trials, and Eugenics formulation is backed by 10 years of science and research. Eugenics Total T can help re-energize your life and help you get back the powerful, confident, good-looking warrior. I mean, seriously, look at me right now. Do I not look like a good-looking warrior? It's Nugenics Total Tea. Uh, get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text FEARLESS to 231231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast. Absolutely free. FEARLESS to 231231. FEARLESS to 231231. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Don't you want to look as good as me? And by the way, I did dye my hair, but I, I dyed it dark brown to make it look a bit more natural uh, this time. What, any thoughts, any reviews? Uh, anyway, I'm, enough of that. Get your new Genix Total Tea. Get your testosterone up. Feel alive, manly, younger like I do today. All right, uh, <clears throat> enough of that. And thank you, Nugenics. Love you guys. Love your support of me and this show and the whole Blaze platform. I want to talk about uh, what went on in Chicago over the weekend. I want to do that with Delano. Delano's written a column about this, taught, and he connected it to our Fearless Roll Call event and the importance of fathers. Uh, but, you know, several... Groups of teens apparently organized over social media uh, terrorized the city of Chicago over this weekend. You, it's, it's some kind of teen takeover of Chicago's Millennium Park, I believe. And it was crazy and it was dangerous and it was violent. And it was repulsive and it was sickening. There's a video I want to play you guys of a group of teens jumping on and beating a young woman. Play, play the video, it's 
I, 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 this is a woman they're doing this to. This is, we, we, we just can't sit back and, and tolerate this. We, we, we can't ignore this and act like this is normal behavior. You've seen me and heard me talking about it for months now on this show. Social media has radicalized young people, and it has particularly radicalized young black kids without fathers, without intact families. That's who can get radicalized. When all of the messaging from social media and all the media elites are sitting on platforms over social media, on corporate media platforms, telling young black kids, you're a victim, you're owed something, white people are an impediment to your happiness. They're being radicalized and they're acting out in their radicalized minds and doing crazy things like jumping a woman. This looks like a group of 14, 15, 16 year olds attacking a white woman for apparently no reason, and I can't think of a reason that would justify what they did. And it doesn't, I don't care what she may or may not have said. And, and I have no indication that the woman did anything, but let's say she said something inappropriate. That's not how you handle it. it, it it's just not. The mayor of Chicago, uh, the mayor-elect, he's not, Lori Lightfoot is still in office, but the mayor-elect, a guy named Brandon Johnson, I believe, uh, made some silly comments that I think we'll let Delano address. But I, I want to juxtapose that video of a bunch of crazed, radicalized, insane teens jumping a young white woman and and Corporate media is ignoring this for the most part. Juxtapose it to the kid in Kansas City. I believe his name is Ralph Yarl. Young African kid, his parents I think are from Africa. Kid was in the band. He goes to the wrong house in North Kansas City to pick up his siblings and an 84 year old man shoots him twice. And apparently, the, this is, happens in the evening, not super late at night, but in the evening, and it turns out it's an 84-year-old white man. Obviously, this is major news to the New York Times. This is major news to all the corporate media outlets because it's a young black boy and it's an old white man. And I think what happened here is absolutely terrible. The young boy, is apparently going to survive. I believe he's recuperating at home after spending several days in the hospital. It looks like he's going to survive. But everybody has rallied around this kid, and we even have NFL quarterback Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, one of my favorite players. He's calling for justice for Ralph Yarrow. And so there's all this pressure to speak out and raise your voices and make sure that Ralph Yarl gets justice. A justice that 
I felt confident was going to come just based on the facts. Someone can't ring your doorbell and you shoot them because you're not expecting them or they don't look the part. I don't know what motivated the old man. Perhaps he's been radicalized too. I don't know. But there is a chance because if you listen to popular culture, if you follow music and television and, and any of these social media platforms, young black kids are portrayed constantly as a violent threat to the safety of anybody. So maybe this old white man has been radicalized no different than what I'm saying young black kids have been radicalized. I don't know. That's all to be discussed. But what I can tell you is there's a complete difference in the way people are reacting to these incidents. Their NFL quarterbacks are speaking out on behalf of Ralph Yarrow and demanding that there's justice and that uh, this old white man be held accountable. Are we aware, and maybe I'm not paying close enough attention, I, I want our team here scour the internet, scour media everywhere. Justin Fields, anybody for the Chicago Bears putting out statements or being asked for statements for justice for the white woman who was attacked by a bunch of crazed, radicalized teens. Anybody in the NFL speaking out, anybody in the NBA talking about uh, what happened to the woman in Chicago? But Ralph Yarl is front page news everywhere. This double standard cannot continue. It's not healthy for America. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for young kids. We're, an 84-year-old white man is being held to a standard that he should be held to. But young black kids are not. Anything they do can be rationalized and excused. This cannot continue. It, it's, it's, and it, it's part of the reason why I was so pleased with uh, Fearless Army and the roll call we did to, to gather men who have put these surface level identity issues away and just want to serve God. We need more of that. That will benefit everyone. And as Delano argues in his column today, the solution is families. Everybody knows what's at the root of the chaos that we're seeing in Chicago. It's the destruction of families, but no one wants to talk about it. We want to pretend like nothing's wrong here and that, hey, these kids have a right to be angry at white people and they have a right to go loot Walgreens or whatever store they want to. They should be. And again, this is the mindset to me of the liberal white person who thinks being black is a curse, who thinks being black is a horrible existence in this world. And people, black people are getting on board with selling that message. I don't buy that. My skin color is a blessing from God, just like yours is. Regardless of what color you are, your white skin color or your lighter skin color 
is a blessing from God. It's not a curse. It's, it's not something in America that relegates you to second class status in this country anymore. I can't. It used to, but not anymore. And we need to quit lying to young people that, that it does and that it justifies unrighteous behavior. Uh, so I want to bring in uh, Delano, let him unpack uh, his column and 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 then meld these two together and have a conversation. Delano, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, great column today. If you wouldn't mind, could you unpack it for us a little bit here? Sure, Jason. I mean, I started with the statement that um, Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson should have been at roll call this weekend. Um, he, he has the biography and the profile that fit. He's a married man, been married over 20 years, I think almost 25 years. Uh, son of a pastor, he, he links his work to his faith. A father, um, I believe of three children. Um, but he, he is a lot different than many of the men that were in attendance over the weekend because he doesn't believe in responsibility. Um, and that's disappointing to me. I, I saw his statement where he said, you know, I don't condone the violence and the misbehavior. However, you know, we shouldn't demonize our youth. And nobody's talking about demonizing kids. It's, it's about uh, being honest about holding people accountable for their, for their behavior and their actions. And, and he, like many liberals, progressives, white or black, um, refuses to do that when it comes to anything having to do with the black community. Um, people like Brandon Johnson do not believe that black people play any role in our own uplift. To, to, to him, white people do things, black people have things done to them. Um, white people have agency, we do not. And, and for people who love to talk about race as much as they do, I said this in the piece, when the conversation comes to the responsibilities that we have for improving our own social and economic outcomes, they go into anaphylactic shock. And the only thing that helps uh, relieve those symptoms is they, they pull out their, well, what about white on white crime? You know, that EpiPen, and they jam it in their leg, and then that sort of resolves things because that's exactly what happens when anytime, uh, a, you know, the conversation even tilts towards black folk having responsibility for anything or agency over anything in our lives, People like him start to get itchy. The, the tongue starts to to swell, and the eyes start to to uh, puff up, um, and and that's how they resolve that tension. So I, I think we need to get back to the place um, where men are committed to their faith, committed to their families, and willing to make responsibility great again. And and as I said, he sh he should have been with us over the weekend, and maybe he could have learned something because if if he governs his city. The, the way he is talking right now, Chicago's gonna be praying for Lori Lightfoot. They're gonna have, uh, uh, they're gonna be worshiping her in effigy in about two years because if, if you can't even get a man like this to stand up and say, no, look folks, I don't, I don't know who's doing what, but let me tell you something, the people of Chicago, we need to get our own households in order. We need to get our children under control we need to make them understand that that authority is something to be honored and submitted to. They cannot act the way they want to act wherever they go. And that goes for any kid that lives in this city, black, white, Chinese, or candy stripe. 
but he won't say that. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. Given his background, Delano, married, comes from, uh, I, w- I would assume, a married family, uh, parents yes. married. Mm-hmm. Why is he and others so reluctant to prescribe the solution or the family situation that worked for them? Why is why wouldn't he look? Well, you know, this is what I'm doing with my family. This is what happened when I was a kid. Hey, this is the way to go. Why are all these Democratic politicians or just politicians? Why are they reluctant to prescribe that? That's a great question. It, it remains to me one of the biggest sort of cultural mysteries. Um, you see this on the left and particularly on the black left. And I say that because there's an element when race is involved where people like Brandon Johnson will say kids can't succeed because of systemic racism and institutional forces and structures and so on and so forth. But to your point, they never turn around and say, well, this is what I did to make it out of the West Side or the South Side. Uh, I think it is a feature of of leftism, of of you know godless secular Marxism, culture, particularly cultural Marxism. I think it's a feature and not a bug. Uh, this is this is how they all operate. And even people who are not overtly political, wh- when it comes to any of the members of the aristocracy, the politicians, the pundits, the professors, the preachers, or the performers, it's always about changing the systems and structures of society. It's never about telling people what they can do to get where you are. So in effect, these are people who say that there's a shortage of food, say that everybody is a beggar, but ref- but they refuse to tell their fellow man where they found bread. Um, and it's one of the most disappointing things to me because e- it's one of two things, Jason, or one of the things that I think it is, is that um, maybe some of these people say like, I'm the exception, right? I'm exceptional. I'm, I'm in many respects better than you people. So even if I told you, you couldn't do what I did. But I don't think that's it. I think they are all about radically changing society. And because of that, they can't afford to appeal to people on an individual level. It's always about what things will, will work to, to reshape systems and structures. But it's funny because values is the one system that they don't want, that they don't want to touch. And family is the one structure that they're not interested in talking about. You mentioned later in the piece that, hey, this isn't just a problem on the left. You're starting to see Mm -hmm. signs of this on the right. And you mentioned Andrew Tate and maybe a guy named Jeff Younger. Am I remembering that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Explain that. Sure. I mean, it's something that I started to notice, I'd say, over the last six months or so. You know, a lot of people know Andrew Tate, very influential online personality, former, you know, kickboxer and all over the Internet, saying controversial stuff, recently ran into some legal trouble, I think, in Romania. But um, he posted a video or a video of him was posted not too long ago where he said uh, somebody asked him, well, what about what, what do guys today? What should they do if they want to have a family for the future? And he said, look, let me tell you what to do. You go to South America, you find you a nice little honey, you knock her up give her a baby, you know, come back to the States, come back to the West. When she asks you whether she can come where you are, you tell her no. You send some money, $100 every once in a while to the kid, and then you go back periodically to visit, 
and boom, that's how that's how you build a family. Um, now, people, Tate is rumored to have a number of kids. I think I may have read as many as eight. I'm not sure, but I think that that is terrible advice to young people. Um, Jeff Younger's situation is a little different. Jeff Younger is an older man, but he was in the news, and I'm, I've known his name for a couple of years now. Um, he was in a very contentious custody dispute with his ex-wife, uh, over, particularly over their son, who the wife calls Luna, and the wife says is trying to transition into a girl. And even in Texas, the court sided, I believe, with the wife and sort of limited his ability to affect decision-making when it comes to his son. And I think because of that situation, he his entire worldview has been clouded by his personal his sort of personal experience. And now he's like telling, you know, young men, don't get married. If you want to have children and secure your progeny, go through surrogacy or adoption. So it's a similar thing to, to Tate. But my observation is that both of these men are speaking from a place of deep, deep hurt. And in that respect, they're not that much different than a lot of the sort of you know, septum ring wearing, pink haired, radical feminists. Um, the, the feminists hate men. And it's, and in some respects, some of the guys on the right have deep, deep animosity towards women. Uh, and, and there's a horseshoe effect where they're pushing all of us, all of the culture away from the model of family formation that, that you know, God desires and that God designed. So I would say to these guys, I would say to anybody listening to me, any young man, do not listen to either one of these groups, because if you think that divorce court is rough, wait till you get a load of child support court. And and if you think, oh, I can just secure my progeny through the use of surrogacy, you're not thinking like a real man, because every child requires exactly one woman and one man to make. And I believe that children have a right to the mother and father that created them. So when you create, intentionally create motherless homes or fatherless homes, you're, you are acting in a selfish manner um, in, in the one area of life where you're called to be selfless. So I get that there's a risk involved with getting married nowadays, but the last thing that this country needs is more scared men. This, I'm throwing a curveball at you, asking you this in real time, but I, I read your piece this morning and I thought about like, Hey, what can we do as, as mm-hmm. you know, we have to follow up on roll call. It can't mm-hmm. just be, hey, let's come together and feel good and go home. There has to be some action items and, and just things that we should be doing. Because like in me reading your story, reading your column, thinking about uh, what went on in Chicago, thinking about what went on in Kansas City, I, I started thinking about like, so do we got we got to bring these men together, the fearless guys, and and put out statements, develop positions on mm. what we think needs to happen to fight some of this. And if that's developing in a position on family court systems, and maybe there needs to be some changes that that because the whole and obviously you know. People see themselves as conservative and they uh, they don't like welfare because that is a system that undermines marriage and Mm -hmm. actually incentivizes women not to get married and and makes it easier for families to split up. But 
it, it's it it reading your piece made me think about because you know we're, we're sending out a letter today to everybody that attended roll call mm. and and I want to engage with all the attendees about hey look we got to come together and communicate regularly monthly and we got to start offering up solutions and strategies uh, th that you know, will take us a better direction than where Brandon Johnson, look, if this just turns into a coalition of men and we decide, we put out statements about how, how we think we should vote or what politicians mm. we think we should support. And anyway, I'm just thinking out loud about, hey, we have to take some next steps. And that's gonna be a conversation between myself, you, TJ, Royce, Virgil, Dave mm -hmm. Shannon, you know, our, our whole team. But I was wondering if you have any thoughts along that line about what can and what should we be doing? And I'll say this before you answer it, and because we'll mm -hmm. let Delano go after his answer. But I want you all listening at home to email me, email us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com if you have suggestions. Now fire Delano. <clears throat> so it's funny, I was listening to the show last night on my way home from work. And um, you were talking to Chuck Knox, and you know he 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 wrote he raised the idea of having you know like a family conference. And as as you were talking, I said, Jason's about to mess around and be the next T D Jakes. He gonna have a men uh, event for men. You gonna have Mega Fest, Woman Hour Out Loose. You know, uh, so so that that was interesting to me. It, it got my mind going because I I didn't necessarily let me stop you. Of, let me stop you okay. because God God is talking to you right now. God God is uh -huh. talking to you right now because one of the thoughts I had was I can make T J and Delano the face of our family weekend. You guys mm -hmm. both have families. You're young fathers, and and because we we need to provide. I think we can get men to come here for mm -hmm. not roll call, but a family event where during the day we meet and strategize with men and at night we throw a nice entertainment event for the men and their families or men and their wives. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was like, I think TJ and Delano could be the face of that. So continue, I'm sorry. So, so, so yeah, I had that thought um, yesterday, but to, to your question, uh, one, I, I would not underestimate the impact that promote consistently promoting positive values has, not just on the marketplace of ideas, but in the real lives of people. And that's a testament to a lot of the feedback we got from over the weekend. Um, I, it would be interesting to see what, you know, policy positions or, or a newsletter, you know, where, where we talk about different issues and, and how men should and could and should respond. It, it, it could be, ways to encourage men t to, you know, care more in a, in a different and deeper way for their wives and their children. Uh, some guys may say, you know what, I've often thought about Boy Scouts, but I don't know where to start. And they may say, okay, let me turn to Fearless and, and maybe they have a resource on, on what to do if you're interested in the Scouts, right? What to do if you're interested in, in coaching peewee football or basketball, that type of thing. Uh, but I think being a clear and consistent voice in, in the culture war um, is important because I, and I heard a pastor, you know, Pastor Doug Wilson, I think uh, Chuck Knox's pastor out in Moscow say, you can't engage in culture war if you don't have a culture. 
And I think one of the biggest things that we can continue to do through this platform is to build a culture. And I know, and you and I have talked about this, and particularly in, in our community, with respect to the black community, and obviously everyone is different. But some of the same issues you see on the south side of Chicago, you're gonna see in Southeast DC, in West Baltimore, in North Philly, um, on the east side of Atlanta. So a lot of these things are common. And I think a big part of it is, is beating the drum that we, just like everybody else, need to get our families together. And a lot of times, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Jason, and I, I tweeted about this over the weekend, even some black conservatives start to get the itch when people bring up the issue of family, right? They, they will pay more attention to someone misquoting or misusing a statistic than the underlying reality that the, the statistics, let's say 70% out of wedlock birth rate, than the reality that that statistic represents. And a big part of it is that the entire culture has been dumbed down in many respects by euphemisms, by weasel words, by imprecise language. And that's why I like to talk about marriage being the license, for lack of a better term, to have children. Not boyfriend, girlfriend, not monogamous relationship, not long-term partnership, not situationship, not cohabitation, marriage. And, and a big part of what, what I'm trying to do personally, and, and, and I know we're trying to do with the show, is to get that order back. Because even kids understood, when, when you were growing up in the schoolyard, I know it was the case when I came along, the kids understood, right? Chris and Christina sitting in the tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. But now what we have is Chris and Christina staring at their screens, T-E-X-T-I-N-G. First comes sex, then comes baby, then comes marriage, but that's a big maybe. Those two paths are gonna put you in two completely different def destinations. And, and I think we need to get back to the first one and we need to be unapologetic about beating that drum wherever we go and regardless of who it is that we're talking to. Thank you, D. Uh, we'll talk Thank to you, you later in the week. Uh, I need you guys to email me, email us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. I'm telling you that this family weekend thing that's just a kernel in my head, we're going to follow up on this because if you're following what we're, I'm trying to do with the show, we're trying to do with the show, it is about creating a culture that is friendly and inviting to believers. If you look at uh, the things I'm trying to do with music is is because I, I want all original music on this show and I want it to be inviting and pleasurable and pleasing to everyone, regardless of color. And it, it was amazing uh, watching the audience react to Tamara coming to town and singing Freedom. And some people were blown away. They thought uh, Tamara was a black woman. And then they see her and hear her sing. They're like, oh, I didn't know the blah, blah. Everybody, white, black, what, Latino, everybody loved freedom. Everybody loved the harmony song. Everybody. And there is music that brings us together that everybody loves. And so I, I want to eliminate uh, 
these cultural difference, black music, white music, blah, blah, blah. And, and I want to create an environment where we can all socialize together. And it's not, oh, it's not a event catered to black people or white people. And so we're going to play certain music, blah, blah, blah. No, I want to have music and an environment and an event where we can all come together and socialize. That, that's how we build the kind of connections so that we can fight in this culture war that we have going on. And, and again, I go back to if you were here in town, I, you know, all the speeches were great. All of them were critical. The Anthony's speech about getting sifted is, is most important to me. Because in, I think, Luke, I believe it's chapter 22. Let me look and see. I don't want to put out any bad information because that'll light up my email quicker than anything. If I give out some bad information, y'all love to come at me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Look, I'm not as, uh, I'm not Bryson. I'm not, I, I don't have every verse memorized uh, and chapter and verse, but I'm pretty sure, I think it's, yeah, Luke 22, uh, maybe it's verse 31. Uh, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to uh, sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. This is Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. I think this is critical, and this is what has gone on with us as believers. We've been sifted like wheat, and sifting is a separating and destruction of, of, of wheat and, and weeding out. And, and we've, we've done that because we've accepted all these different identities other than believer. And so we see ourselves as black or white, and we see ourselves as conservative or liberal or Republican or Democrat. And as believers, we should only have one identity. And so Jesus was telling Peter that, look, man, here's what the devil's going to do. He's going to take my disciples and he's going to separate y'all. He's going to give you all these different identities. And when I'm gone, y'all going to run off and forget. No, you were all brought under my umbrella. You were, you know, we Jews and Gentiles, the whole thing. I brought you all together not to be sifted. And so that's part of the process that I want to accomplish here at Fearless. We're going to unsift the believers and bring us all back together, the believers. And, and I saw it with my own eyes this weekend. We can do more of it and we're going to. I want you guys along on the journey with me. Uh, so email me, fearlessplayshow at gmail.com. TJ Moe, lighten up the discussion a little bit. I may ask TJ for his thoughts on what me and Delano just talked about, but uh, I want to ask him about uh, if he'd clean up the popcorn if his kids made a mess on the plane or would he let them fight again Welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to St. Louis. Bring in the Show Me Kid. 
TJ Mo. TJ, I'm 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 volunteering you uh, to be the face of a social event, uh, the family weekend. It, it's just a kernel of thought in my head. Uh, you and I and and Virgil have talked about it briefly, and you know I didn't say that. You know, it came to I was like, oh man, Delano and TJ would be the perfect faces uh, to host a family weekend, a social event where. You know, men come and we do some business during the day. And then at night, uh, guys get all dressed up and bring their wives to a social event that, that we host. We get Tay Lewis in there singing. We get Bryson in there rapping and, uh, you know, maybe some more entertainment for him, serving a meal. Uh, anyway, it's just some thoughts that were running through my head. So I, I wanted your reaction. I don't know if you got to see me and Delano's conversation, but your reaction to that. And I know I, know I didn't prep you for this, but uh, you can think in real time. You, you graduated from Mizzou. I did. I did graduate from Mizzou. Um, <laughs> I have no problem being the face of anything, although not often volunteered for good reason. I, unlike you, I don't mind small talk, so I can sit and chat with anybody in that room all day long, every day. Um, I also think, I mean, we can, you know, you, you make a poster and want to put me and Delano on it. Great. But most of our crew fits the description we're talking about. Dave Shannon can be there with his seven kids and his wife. Virgil will be there. You go down the list and we got a lot. I don't want to pay for Dave and his whole family to fly here. That'll break us. Uh, the bus. <laughs> we'll get them a bus. They can do what the Slicket crew yeah. did. We'll get them on those high top buses. They can cruise down from Idaho. That's a seven day journey. They'll make it. Um, yeah, I, I just think I think it's a great idea. I got an email yesterday. And so we we. I think we're going to talk about this tomorrow, maybe. And you touched on it that some of the women were upset that uh, you said, hey, man, this this is for men. You you guys aren't supposed to be here. Yeah. And it was a woman named Donna and her husband, Neil. And they emailed me and said, Donna loved it. She was so happy to see men in a place supporting each other. She knew exactly what you were talking about. She wasn't offended at all. And so that is the reaction that I expected. That's like the mature, like, yeah, of course, this is a men's conference. I'm just happy I got to be inside the building. And then we should have an event for them and say the men got together and encouraged each other and got everything they needed. And they sorted out and ironed some, some things out that they're dealing with. They got nothing to do with me. And then we can all be here together at night and have the time of our lives. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Yes. And, and trust this idea did not come from, oh, God, uh, I offended women. Let me come up with a different solution. It, it, it really comes from just a good place of, of like if we're going to bring us together across all lines, we know that the wives, significant others have to be a part of that. It's mm -hmm. it's, you know, anytime. I'm thinking about uh, things that we're doing, things that I asked TJ to do or uh, Virgil or anybody to do. I do think about, well, how's this impact their wife? How's it impact their marriage? Am I asking too much? Uh, because I get it. These guys are in partnership and, and I understand that partnership. But, but, and I'm glad to be, and, and I thought I was clear when I was talking on Saturday. I, I'm glad that some wives... Okay, I would seem like there may have been 20 wives that came of, you know, seven, eight hundred people, maybe Sounds 20 right. wives. came. I'm, I, I'm glad they did come because I think it lets them know and it will be a signal to other women 
that like, hey, we're not planning anything that will harm you. We're not asking people to come here and let's go get drunk in Nashville. And and I think the women that saw like, oh, this is what they're doing. This is awesome. And they're sitting here talking about protecting me and my kids. This is awesome. And so I, I, I hope that I've allayed fears because I, I'm just, I'll keep it a thousand. I think about these things because my previous reputation as a man of the world, you know, I, I've had friends whose wives get very nervous. You're going where with who? With Whitlock? And, and, and what are y'all doing? And they got a bunch of questions. I've seen friends of mine that, you know, hanging around with me, they got to check in with their wife every three or four hours and they got to send pictures <laughs> to make sure that everything's above board. And so uh, I want to lay all those fears. I, I, I can re- I'm not going to call the kid. Well, I will, I'll just say his name's Jason. And this is because, again, I try to tell you, I was out in the world but trying to be a good person and a good Christian. And I can remember 10, 12 years ago, I invited my friend Jason and his wife uh, out on a trip with me and the woman I was dating. And, and I'm just kidding, it was out in Vegas. And uh, his wife was nervous and then very, now I'm not trying to brag, but she was very impressed with me and my values, despite being in Sin City. And she had all these expectations of things that I was gonna do uh, to make her uncomfortable or blah, blah, blah. And, and none of it was true. The, 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 I did do so, we did go to a strip club. <laughs> but I was well behaved. Uh, <laughs> and so, Anyway, that's the old me. This me here. I may drag your husband to church. I may make him pray with me. He may have to give me a Kleenex when I break down and cry for no reason. Uh, That's who I am now. And and so I'm glad everybody's comfortable. TJ, I want to lighten up the conversation, though, and just ask you. uh, There's a baseball player, Major League Baseball pitcher. I think it, is his name Anthony Bass? Did I get this right? Uh, someone, not, I think I got yep. it right. He, he's mm-hmm. complaining over Twitter on a United flight. The flight attendant at United just made my 22-week pregnant wife trapping with a five-year-old and a two-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess by my youngest daughter. Are you kidding me? This dude got ratioed over <laughs> Twitter. And... Yeah. I, I I think I agree with him getting trashed over Twitter. He and his wife can discuss this. He and his friends can discuss this. I wouldn't put it out over Twitter as if I'm embarrassing United. I do think the flight attendant probably should have cleaned it up, but I just don't think this is something to be publicly complaining about. Yeah, we, we, uh, we've been given a binary of stupid options, I think. And so it's, it's, should the kids have cleaned it up? Should the mother have cleaned it up? Right. Or should it have been the, the flight attendant? How about the 10 rows of people around you that see a 22 week pregnant person? And so I'm, excuse me, pregnant woman. I need to speak in real terms, not pregnant person, <laughs> a 22 week pregnant woman with two kids that are very difficult to control on a plane. I've been there. It's hard. 
and not one person could look up from their phone for five seconds to see, hey, she looks like she needs some help. This drives me nuts. It's the worst at airports. I've had a lot of terrible encounters with people at airports who they they're the only person that exists. It's like, hey, when a girl's four foot ten and she's trying to get a fifty pound bag out of the overhead bin, why don't you help her? Like, where are all the men? I'm, I'm not lightening it up a whole lot here. I'm trying to figure out how you can have this many people around you and not one person. I wouldn't have minded that complaint by Anthony Bass. Hey, guys, I got a tw- I can't be with my wife all the time. I've, she, we got kids. They were coming to see me play. How about somebody go out of their way to take care of someone somewhere, anywhere? There was a I was in we got some rental properties up in Florissant, Missouri, and um, you know, it's, it's a pretty good area. So, so not high crime, but you, you know, the, there's a guy on the street, it's, it's pouring down rain. I'm sitting at a light and there is a guy in an electric wheelchair who has slid off the sidewalk and is spinning his wheels and it's pouring down. This is an old man. He's got to be in his late sixties and car after car drive by this guy. And I'm like, no one can be bothered to stop and help somebody. And so I'm like, look, he's in an electric. First of all, he's in a wheelchair, meaning he's either struggling to walk or can't walk. Secondly, he's, he went to the convenience store and back in an electric wheelchair. So he probably doesn't have a car. No one stopped. Eventually, I stopped and pushed him out of this thing. But I'm like, this is who we are. Nobody looks up from their phones. No one's interested. It, you may walk up to the lady and say, you know, I'm sorry you're going through this. Your kid's probably should be a little better trained. And, you know, when they tell you you get a five-year-old or so, should be able to listen and, and pick up the popcorn. Also, this flight attendant's an idiot. And also, I can jump in here and solve all of your problems in about three seconds flat and pick this up. So everybody here is stupid. I'll solve your problems. Mm. Uh, TJ, you being here reminds me of uh, notes that you sent me yesterday. It reminds me of a couple of people I forgot to thank uh, for roll call. Uh, so I'll do that as, as we let you go, probably talk to you tomorrow when we go a little bit further in depth into roll call and ideas and things like that. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Uh, but it does remind me that, uh, yesterday as I was thanking people, I forgot to thank, uh, Dave Shannon and Shamika who, uh, Chalk Knox and Shamok show who, at some point when we put out the video of highlights and, and try to give you a better picture of what transpired at Roll Call, Dave and Shamika will be fronting that video. They interviewed everybody in the audience. They, they're putting together a great highlight show that we will put in front of you as soon as uh, we can. I wanted to thank those two guys. I forgot to thank Justin Kraut, our crack producer back in Dallas. Justin was not here but did some behind the scenes work in terms of the graphics and things that uh, we used at Roll Call. Uh, Justin, obviously a great asset for us on a day-to-day basis uh, here with the Fearless Army. I forgot to reference that. I really forgot, and I talked about him on stage, and uh, we brought Hadley in, uh, helicoptered him in uh, from his, nursing home in St. Louis. And they, uh, we had a sponsor that volunteered to provide an oxygen machine as we flew him in via helicopter. And uh, I think two nurse, th- no, it was three nurses uh, sat with him and wheeled him around uh, roll call. And so I wanted to thank Hadley 
uh, for coming in uh, despite you know all of his issues at age. That's a much younger pitcher. Hadley's got to be 77. I think his birthday's coming up. But anyway, to have Hadley here and the, the nursing team that all took care of him, I wanted to thank those guys. And uh, last but not least, uh, my guys from Slickit were here. Uh, Marcus Queen, Jeff Daniel, the whole Slickit team was here and attended roll call. Uh, Slickit obviously helping me with the approval app. I wanted to thank those guys, but I, again, I, I, I forgot. I'll maybe have some more people to thank tomorrow. Uh, Hadley is probably at the top of the list. I mean, he's a real trooper. Uh, and I, I think he's back in St. Louis and, you know, all his vital signs are normal. So uh, Tripp didn't, didn't kill him like we thought it could and hoped that it would, but uh, he survived. So uh, we'll continue on with Coach JB, Jason Brown, next. Time for some last chance cue uh, with Coach Jason Brown. JB, I'm going to throw a curveball. We're not going to start with quarterbacks. Steve Kim told me you uh, said something very blasphemous about Ray Lewis. And so I need some clarity on where you stand on Ray Lewis uh, before I know if we can even continue this interview. I may have to drop you again. I told him. Where's Ray Lewis on your top linebacker list in NFL history, JB? Uh, top five. Uh, we have that? a bad connection. We have a bad connection. You said top top one or two. Is that what you said? Top five. What's wrong with top five? You think he's number it's one? It's disrespectful. You think he's number one? What? Inside linebackers, JB. So he's better than Mike Singletary. Yes. He's better than Butkus. That's who I would question. You know, I can go either Nishke. way on that. He's better than Nishki. Yeah. Yes. So you're telling me a guy that played in a spread system era versus a team that lined up with multiple fullbacks and had to take on the fullback day in and day out is not better than Ray Lewis who had to defend the pass in a much softer era. You're telling me that those guys aren't better. Remember, we're talking Mike linebacker here, Jason. You played the game. We're not talking safety. Are we talking about middle linebacker? Do you think Ray Lewis would have any problem with any fullback in the history of professional football? Are you suggesting? I watched the man take on guards and tackles, and you think he couldn't handle, handle taking on fullbacks? And he did take on fullbacks in his era. Cut I'm it not, out, JB. I'm not saying he didn't take him on. I'm telling you he didn't take him on in the same respect that the old school cats did. It was a completely different game. Ray Lewis got to drop into coverage much more often than those other linebackers had to do. Those guys had to fill gap, A gap, B gap right now. Ray Lewis got to read coverage, read pattern, pattern read, hold drop, cover two. He had a much more uh, 
shall I say, softer era. And I'm just going to tell you like that. I love Ray Lewis. I've sat down with Ray Lewis many times. I've had a lot of discussions. Ray Lewis will tell you that the era has changed by the time he got into it. So I'm just telling you, it is a completely different game. Mike Singletary is the best linebacker in the history of football, in my opinion. Ray Lewis, I would probably have in the top three or four, but he's definitely top five. A little stiff for me. A little stiff. JB, and, and I don't, I'm not disrespecting Mike Singletary. Mike Singletary is probably number three in my book. I'm not trying to disrespect Mike Singletary. Three? But, number three? But, yeah. Buckus, Ray Lewis, and, and Mike Singletary, or Ray Lewis, Buckus, Mike Singletary. Listen, man. He's top five either way. He's top five. There's no disrespect in putting a guy in top five in the history of his sport. Yes, it is. Because someone, I was told, London Fletcher's name fell out of your mouth at some point, uh, which really triggered me, that, that somehow well, you put them in the five. same sentence. It did, huh? not top five. I was just messing with Steve about certain things. But oh. what I did say was there's a lot of under – undervalued guys, underrated guys that were really, really good at the same time Ray was playing, but Ray got all the notoriety. And you remember a guy Did you see Ray's Super Bowl against the New York Giants? It's one of the greatest defensive performance, if not the greatest defensive performance in NFL playoff history, certainly in Super Bowl history. I was in the building and and wasn't a full-blown Ray Lewis idiot at the time. Now I am. I'm a full-blown Ray Lewis idiot. At that time, I was just like, oh, Ray Lewis is nice. I watched that game and was like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen one man take down a entire offense and team. He did it. There was no Ed Reed at that time. It was just Ray, if my memory serves me right. And, and I, when I say just Ray, I'm not saying Tony Saragusa and some of the other pieces were, but I know it's you're one not. of the greatest performances. <laughs> Excuse me? I know you're not. It's one of the greatest performances in NFL history. His on that platform to have that game to single-handedly shut down a def- offense and then to have that season where they're carrying Trent Dilfer. They know they can't give up more than 12 or 13 points a game. They did have Rod Woodson, who's a great player right there with Deion Sanders. But but what Ray did in that Super Bowl, man, come on, man. You keep saying by himself. You're telling me they didn't have the best D-line in football? Are you crazy right no. now? Are you, are you killing me right now with this by himself stuff, man? Holy crap. D-line was we impressive. We watched that Super Bowl. Their D-line was unbelievable. Who, who frees up the linebacker, Jason? Do you think the linebacker just runs scot-free without being protected? Come on, man. By himself. Come on. Did, did Mike Singletary win two Super Bowls? With great one. With great D-line as well. But it wasn't as good as that Ravens D-line. I'll tell you that right now. Steve McMichael, Dan Hampton, the fridge. What are you talking about? than the Ravens D-line? <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine Hampton's in the Hall of Fame. Who on the are Ravens D-line's in the Hall Perry? of Fame? Are you putting Refrigerator Perry in there too? Come on. No, no, no. 
Come on, they were big wobble bodies, man. The guys couldn't even Richard move. Di- Richard Dent's in the Hall of Fame. Cut it out, JB. Richard was a pass-rushing DN, man. Ray Lewis played in the middle with Singletary. They had to have bluggers. You had to have A-gap guys. You had to have big booty guys. Saragusa, Sam Adams, two of the biggest bodies of all time taking on double teams, freeing up Ray Lewis all day long. By the way, Ray Lewis also had a great linebacker core in Baltimore, by the way. Great. Dan Hampton, 1980s all-decade team, not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, let Let me walk that back. Yeah, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but Richard Dent is. Richard Dent, uh, yep. Oh, Richard Dent won two Super. He won some with another team. He won one with uh, uh, Richard Dent in the Hall of Fame. Stop, cut it out, man. Cut it, cut, cut I it said out. Richard All Dent. right, I'm. I'm, I'm I should have waited for last. If this was the last topic, I would have hung up on you. I'd have cut. We'd have had a connection problem. But I want to go back to Jalen Hurts, or I want to go to Jalen Hurts. What do you think of his deal? Uh. You know, have they over? Are they going to regret paying Jalen Hurts fifty-one million a year? Man, I don't know how to say this. This is just what it is. The market is just skyrocketed for all these guys. Um, let me ask you this before I answer that question: Do you think that the quarterback salary cap is going is going to be a separate salary cap in the next five years? Uh, the CBA. Sean Salisbury and I discussed it yesterday. I think the CBA. I don't think they'll have a problem with it. I think Steve Kim disagrees. Steve, uh, Sean and I think that the CBA would like it because all the other players know they're never going to get the quarterback money. So why not have a separate salary cap? These guys can have bigger contracts if they, if they weren't included with the quarterback. Do you ever see that the CBA allowing the NFL to separate and have two different salary caps? Because I'm telling you, Jason – this is becoming very, very hard to construct rosters with. And Steve don't think that Steve thinks agents wouldn't allow it. Sean and I think agents would love it. It's more money. So I if think if I'm that's, a player. Huh? If I'm a player, I don't want a quarterback salary cap. I want or maybe I do. You do. You do I want Jay. some sort of sanity. Maybe you I do. do. I want some sort of say. These guys are overpaid, man. Oh, and and they're oh. not taking the risk. They're not taking the risk that offensive, defensive linemen are, linebackers are, running backs are. They're so protect. We we put skirts on them. You can't touch them. They don't have to play real football. But somehow, they take less risk and get more money. I know their position drives ratings and all that other stuff. But but if I'm a rank and file NFL player, I I I I want. And if I'm a defensive lineman, offensive lineman, a linebacker, any of these contact positions, I I I I'm like, man, I, 51 million a year, cut it out. I'm out here taking the risk. I'm the one that's gonna be in pain at age 50. While you know we we've done, you got to ask a quarterback to go to the ground. You you get back there and say, hey, could you fall down for me? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I would want some kind of salary cap. I'd want it under control and get these guys, you know, down around thirty million a year. I mean, I don't me even more. know about that. Give I just mean, guys. I mean, well, 
I just mean having a total separate cap with them. Like there's I two separate you. caps on each team. You know what I mean? There's two caps now on each roster and the quarterback separate. Um, I think it'll be here's the thing about it, Jason. Yes, the, it's what, the number you put on that cap is what's gonna get players in, involved if if it tops out at only ten percent higher than the up the other highest paid player on the team at a different position. I might jump on board with that. But watching Jalen Hurts get $51 million and Jason Kelsey get 15 or whatever they pay centers, you know, I'd be like, man, I'm down here taking a beating that my grandkids are going to feel, and Jalen Hurts is getting escorted to the ground by security. I, I'm, I'm against it. I, I, yeah, and, and there's a flip side. They can argue that you're getting $15 million as a center. Uh, because of what I make, uh, there's also that flip side to it that you can get argued. And I've had that argument with people. I don't agree with it. I'm just saying that's an argument. Here's the thing, Jason, to piggyback off of you taking the beating and all that versus a guy that's not, that's fully protected. Like we've never seen before. They also are not investing in themselves, their roster, their team, or the game. It's a slap in the face to the forefathers, to the game itself the Kyler Murray's of the world, the guys that don't rehab properly, that don't come back forever, that are sitting there BSing, uh, the Zion Williamson's of the world. We have this direct slap in the face after we get this money. And we get this big bag of money, yet we don't want to invest in fully, uh, you know, invest in this profession and ourselves. And that's what it kills me about the money they're getting. I agree with you that, Zion Williams' refusal to participate in voluntary workouts during the Saints offseason is a reason for NFL players to <laughs> be sarcastic. How you brought Zion Williamson into this, only nah, you could do that, JB. Great job. These professionals are getting big money and they're not investing in themselves. I, that's just, that's the I point. got it. I know what you were doing. I know what you're doing. Only you hey, but where's Lamar Jackson? Is he, is, he, is he pissed off at, at the world or – is uh, is he mad at the wrong people? I think he's been given a blueprint. I think he's been given a new standard and a blueprint, and he's putting those type deals rather than the fully guaranteed. He's putting Jalen Hurts' deal in front of the Baltimore Ravens. But you know he was already offered more money, right? You know, you know that he is if a comparable deal. If you compare the two deals, he offered he was offered two hundred guaranteed, and Jalen Hurts is one seventy nine guaranteed. That's number one. Number two, if you compare the two deals, Lamar turned down whatever, how many months ago, is that if you put them next to, next to each other, it's basically neck and neck, and Lamar actually was having a better deal than Jalen Hurts. And he turned that down for one person, and that's the outlier in this whole thing. That's the anomaly, and that's Deshaun Watson. He thought this was a ego measuring contest and I had to have the same money that Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson had. And now I think it's going to come back to bite him. And I think Joe Burrow sitting there smiling from ear to ear. Now that Jalen hurts got this money, he's over there like, Hey, Justin Herbert. Hey, Josh Allen, do you know what we're going to get next? We're going to be the first $60 million a year guy. 
And it's just getting worse and worse, Jason. And that's why I think you have to put a cap on quarterbacks and separate them from the normal roster. And I think that's coming down the pipe. Or we're going to get this thing to be uh, really, really out of control here. What do you think's going on with C.J. Stroud? He's, he's dropping down draft boards. He's no longer expected to be a top three pick. The Ohio State quarterback is uh, starting to slide. What do you think is going on? Uh, yeah, Will Anderson and Will Levis moving ahead of him. What do you think is behind that? Um, well, if it's Sims talking about it, I'm never going to believe it. He's the worst. Uh, he's never been right yet. But having said I that, think Vegas, um, Vegas is also agreeing. I know Schefter also the came odds out. Makers are. Yeah, Schefter came out and said it, and so. Sean Salisbury and I said it three weeks ago as well. I wouldn't be shocked if a quarterback don't go again till four after Bryce Young gets picked. Um, Sean and I both agree that that Bryce Young could be the next Drew Brees because of not only the stature similarities, but the the accuracy, the mechanics, the tutelage. Sarkeesian, O'Brien, NFL coaches that have had him under Saban's uh, total watch, of, of course. Um, I think that is benefiting Bryce, just like it has a little bit of Tua, a little bit of Jalen Hurts, who's basically a, you know, a three-year Alabama guy. Oklahoma doesn't count to me. Uh, he didn't learn a lot there uh, to take him to the NFL. I think it's all from Alabama. Um, but Alabama, you can argue, doesn't have a great track record either. Mac Jones is still in debate. Would you talk uh, about C.J. Stroud, please? Yeah, and I'm just saying, the point I'm making is, though, everybody wants to talk about Ohio State having bad QBs coming out of their college over the years, and it doesn't mean anything to me. This guy wasn't there. He wasn't there. It doesn't matter. Um, we could say that about USC, too. Um, this is an individual that's got all the accolade, all the tools. He's 6'5", he's 225, got a big arm. Uh, why is he dropping, Jason? I believe it's strictly because of what we're talking about, the roster, the cap, and what's available. The Texans need Will Anderson. They need weapons. I believe, Shannon believes, and I believe we that we can roll with Miles, uh, with Davis, and have a decent roster built around him. And that is what the Bears selected to do, Um with Justin, that is what a lot of teams are doing now that they're seeing how average a lot of these quarterbacks are across the league. And teams can build a roster, get them better, and win with a quarterback without paying them a, absorbent amounts of money early and then go get you a QB in a couple of years. I don't believe there's a QB in this draft, Jason, that's going to be around in five or seven, ten years. I think this is a very, very poor QB draft. Um, Sean agrees. I think Bryce Young has a chance. I think the Hafner kid out of Fresno will probably be around longer. Not saying he's going to be a starter in a, in a gym. I'm thinking he's going to be a journeyman in the NFL for 10-plus years because of what he has. He has all the tools that the NFL quarterback requires. He's just not as talented as these guys. But he can be around for a long time. I just think the Anthony Richardsons, Will Levises, they're going to get drafted so high, Jason, on bad teams. And you'll never see him again. And uh, that is what happens more often than not with these guys. And I just don't really uh, – I'm not really impressed with this QB draft. I don't know why a lot of these guys have been so high on them. I don't see a lot of uh, longevity in these guys. 
Um, I think Bryce goes one, and I wouldn't be shocked if uh, if the Colts not only make a move for somebody, but uh, if they pass on a guy. I, I just don't know what they're going to do. I don't see Anthony Richardson or Will Levis sitting there at four being the guy for the Colts. And if C.J. Stroud slips to four, um, I, I, I would not be mad at that. I could see C.J. going to the Colts and being a lot better off than a Will Levis or an Anthony Richardson at that spot. But I'm not shocked if two goes to uh, Will Anderson and if three for the Cardinals goes to, obviously, Will Anderson as well. And I wouldn't be shocked if B. John Robinson's not taken at number three by the Cardinals based on what Connor has going on in the Cardinal situation there. So there's going to be some different things that's happened. As you know, every year changes, Jason, every draft different, every draft going to, there's going to be some trades that move up before we end up getting there next Thursday. Um, but uh, I'm not going to be shocked if, uh, if, if a couple of these QBs fall and, and drop. Thank you, JB. Uh, All right, brother. You know what? I may bring up, hold up. Don't go anywhere. Let me let me bring up uh, Ray Lewis so you can say something stupid and then I can disconnect from you. Ray Lewis, go ahead and say something stupid. Per capita, London Fletcher is better. I think we've lost connection with JB. There, there we go. Thank you. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, Jordan Bowles. And we'll talk about uh, Draymond Green. All right, welcome back. Want to squeeze in a little NBA talk to close out the show. Uh, Draymond Green last night tossed out of the playoff game against the uh, Sacramento Kings. Golden State Warriors now down in an 0-2 hole. Uh, Draymond, one of the most interesting bullies, borderline punks in the NBA, been carried his entire career by Stephen Clay is on the verge of costing the Golden State Warriors a first-round playoff exit. Everybody remembers, I believe, in 2016 when he cost the Golden State Warriors a championship series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Draymond and his antics have to be, at this point, wearing thin. Last night, he stomps uh, Sabonis, Sacramento's best player, and gets tossed out of the game. Let's watch the clip of Draymond uh, crossing the line. Let's take another look. Draymond losing his cool again and hurting the Golden State Warriors. Here he is after the game talking about it at a press conference. Draymond, can you just walk us through what happened there? My leg got grabbed. Second time in two nights. Referees just watch it. I got to land my foot somewhere. And I'm not the most flexible person, so it's not stretching that far. So you didn't really see where you were stepping? You just I, I can only step so far and pulling my leg away. So, what was, it is what it is. What was the explanation they gave? I know they gave him a technical, then obviously you... <clears throat> the explanation was I stumped too hard. 
Uh, how hard was the, that impact? Were you surprised that he was uh, on the ground for that long? No, I wasn't surprised that he stayed down that long. I think Sabonis was milking it a little bit. I, I agree with Draymond on this. Uh, let's watch Draymond's interaction with fans after the ejection. That's Draymond Green being Draymond Green. That's Draymond Green being, and that's why he's going to get suspended and should get suspended. That's beyond the kick as well, but we've already we've seen the problems with E40 at this playoff series. He's been booted. Now you got Draymond and his antics. This is what's go- the NBA. It, it, it's it used to be fantastic. Now it's a soap opera. Now it's all the things going on that have nothing to do with what's going on between the lines and a whistle. Uh, and so I want to talk a little NBA with. Uh, I don't even know how to frame this up. I, he would have to, he's family. Uh, his dad and I grew up together. His dad and uncle and I grew up together with me and my brother. Our moms and parents were, my mom was in his, in his grandmama's uh, wedding. They were in my mother's wedding. Anyway, I grew up with his dad and, and uncle like brothers. And we used to sit over at each other's houses and talk sports and talk smack to each other. His dad's name's Freddie, his uncle, we called him Bubby, his real name's Charleston. But these guys, his dad and uncle are brilliant. I mean, these are guys with 1,300, 1,400, 1,500 SAT scores. Uh, Jordan's dad went to a private prep school in Indianapolis, one of the smartest guys I know, but never any match for me in talking sports. Even as kids, he and his brother, Bubby, they would get loud as I got more articulate and more substantive and always won the debates. They just get loud because I am a great debater and talker of sports. I know more about sports than anybody in the Bowles family combined. And I used to prove that to his dad all the time. And so I actually asked his dad, uh, to come on the show and talk about Draymond Green with me because, you know, like like we did as kids. But his dad afraid of me, and, and with good reason. Uh, I've embarrassed him for years in discussions about sports. And so he sent his son instead, Jordan, who's a freshman at Purdue. Uh, Jordan downloaded the approval rating app, filled out uh, something on Draymond Green. And, and so his dad not, you know, wisely choosing not to confront me has now sent his young 19-year-old son to confront a grown man in a conversation about sports. I don't expect this to go well. Uh, Jordan Bowles, uh, welcome. It's disappointing. Uh, You know, Freddie, really not man enough to come on and talk to me about uh, the NBA. He has to send a young boy to do a man's job. Uh, Is Hold on. Is that a Westbrook jersey I see behind you? Is, that is indeed a Westbrook jersey behind me. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, 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 I'm worried guy. if you were. I was always worried if you were going to be raised right, and now I see further proof that Freddie and Bubby. I'm going to blame your uncle for this too. Don't t- you're a Westbrook <laughs> fan? Oh yeah, that's my guy, number one. 
Number one. That's my guy. That is my guy. Three for 19, whatever it takes to win. Whatever it takes. I, I, I'm not even going to touch that for now. That, that I'll talk to your dad about that and your uncle. Uh, Draymond Green. Stomps on Sabonis. Uh, to me, he's going to cost them this series. They're down 0-2. I don't see he's going to get suspended. I don't see him recovering. He started the season beating up his teammate Jordan Poole. Now he's going to end the season costing him a first-round playoff exit. Your take on Draymond Green? Uh, he's a big poser, and he has been over the past few years for sure. Uh, and it all started as really just being the, the bully for the team. Uh, you had two shooters, uh, two of the greatest of all time, and then you have the big bully that needs to do the dirty work. And a lot of teams need that. Um, but over the years, it's gotten worse and worse. And with Draymond, he wants his identity to be the forefront of everything he's doing beyond the floor. And it gets carried over onto the floor. It ends up costing them a finals back in 2016. And now – what seemed to be a dynasty is crashing down all on his back. Do you think, and I do, I think this should be the last year of Draymond Green. If you start the year out beating up your teammate and destroying team chemistry, and then you end the year getting ejected and likely suspended, I think this should be Draymond Green's last year in, at, with Golden State. For sure. Actually, I think Golden State did him a favor keeping him after he punched Jordan Poole uh, in practice. Uh, I thought they should have dealt him right after that happened, if you ask me. But after they lose this series, because I think they will, uh, he'll get to go be with his king. Uh, I think he'll go join LeBron. I think he's an unrestricted free agent here soon, I believe. He'll get to go join LeBron and, and be his little flower boy uh, for the rest of his career. His what? What is his little flower boy? What? What? What do you? What yeah. do you mean by that? Uh, so Draymond has a podcast. And he's on it pretty much after every game, and somehow, some way, LeBron comes up in just about every uh, episode, and he just he gives LeBron his flowers every single time. And they used to be a, a somewhat of a rivalry, and it's become they're like besties now. Hmm, that's interesting. Draymond angling to, to move to Los Angeles and carry yeah. water uh, for LeBron James. That, that's I, I did not know that. That's why I need to tap into you young people. Y'all follow this a little bit more closely. All right, I, this is a silly question given the jersey hanging in the background and him being your number one player. But what, who's more toxic as a teammate, Draymond Green or Russell Westbrook? I guess we know where you stand. Uh <laughs> I don't even think it's close. Uh, I don't have any history on Russell Westbrook punching teammates, uh, bashing teammates. I don't know where the whole notion came on Westbrook being the vampire in the locker room uh, and being every team's problem. Draymond is just, he's a mess. He's a train wreck. And though he serves his purpose and serves it well, and they win, they are better with him. He is a he's just a bad teammate, a bad influence on the team at times. And it doesn't really get in the way of Steph and others, but it just it, it's a distraction and it's an unneeded distraction. Uh I don't feel Westbrook is a 
toxic teammate at all. I've heard guys that played with him over the years say it's the best teammate he's ever had. So I, I don't know how the, the, the media seems to pull their own opinion and they've never really been in the locker room. Uh, it might be, Jordan, that if you were at a game, there's a good chance Russell Westbrook would pick a fight with you as a fan. He'd see you standing there in a Westbrook jersey and take a swing at you or get offended by something you said. The man's so soft that just getting called Westbrook, Westbrick, triggers him. That's where I, I, I'm just saying, like, he's a distraction and a problem. I, I can't say he's worse than than uh, Draymond Green, but he is a distraction and a problem. I can give you that. I can give you that for sure. And coming from the middle era in between the the Kobe's and and the Michaels and stuff like that, coming from 08 draft, you know, guys kind of were better at tuning things out. And over the years, it seems like this identity has been pushed so far to the forefront and the social media talk and these players are now arguing with media members on social media and in uh, conferences, press conferences and things like that. I don't know what has happened to the brand of the NBA and these players are calling fans out, throwing them out of games, paying customers. Uh, and it's, it's really become a mess. I don't think back in, back in the day before I was born, I don't see Kobe Bryant. I don't see Mike. I don't see Shaq looking around hey, he called me this, he's got to go. And and really everybody in the league now, not just Westbrook, but we've seen LeBron and Draymond and countless others just throw people out of the game. And it's, it's really become a mess. Very soft. Uh, it it kind of, the, the analogy I would make, it kind of reminds me of uh, Bubby and Freddie, whenever we would get in a debate about sports, they'd get very soft because they didn't know how to handle my comments. You actually did a decent job of, of representing your family and your father. Uh, I see why he sent you. Uh, your father would have hung up and folded a long time ago. Uh, I'm not no more bad, game Jordan. than Pops. I- <laughs> I'm no more game than Pops, for sure. That's why he sent me. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Well, I'm going to check back in with you as the playoffs continue. That sounds good. All right. That was uh, Jordan Bowles, like a nephew to me, his dad and uncle, uh, two of my best friends in life. I I keep telling you guys, I want to bring the audience into the show. And and so I think we're going to try to start ending uh, all the shows by bringing uh, someone from the audience or a friend of mine or we may circle back to Jordan because I know he watches a lot of the NBA stuff. And uh, anyway, I just I want to make you all a part of the show and make the show more accessible. Hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll play some tomorrow and we'll see you tomorrow.
Wow. 